Witty, thought-provoking, and uplifting, Southern Soul Livestream is a program that you'll invite your friends over to watch every week where you'll learn about interesting guests and get to share in their fascinating experiences. Tune in each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to connect with guests from across the generations and to laugh with our eclectic hosts who are as charming as they are talented. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's our host, Calvin. Tonight, people, we have an awesome show, a highly anticipated show. The excitement for tonight's show definitely caught me by surprise, right? Because, as you know, we cover a lot of topics. But in covering a lot of topics, man, why y'all didn't tell me that this topic of generational trauma, curse, curses, generation curses, that's what we call it, right? And family conflict was such a hot topic. I mean, the RSVPs were just off the chart. People just want to talk about it. And so I'm thankful today that we have some awesome speakers that are here to kind of really just discuss with us about how this thing works and how it looks. But before we get started, I want to kind of give, you know, just some context, right? This session is designed to provide a safe, holistic, and non-judgmental space. And really talk about how sometimes we can be traumatized in some of our family experiences. Tonight, we're gonna to discuss how we break the cycle of trauma. How do we grow deeper in our relationships and connect with the people around us in a more profound and healthy way? I wanna get started with Miss Jamisha Williams. Miss Jamisha, how you doing? Do you mind introducing yourself, telling us about you? No problem. Well, good evening, everyone. I'm Jamesha Williams. I'm from South Carolina, currently living in Columbia, I'm serving the military families here at Fort Jackson. Um, I don't know how much you want to know, but I went to Converse for my graduate studies in LMFT. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and currently working on my supervisory license. So yay me, Black Girl Magic. Um, I'm from the low country of South Carolina, so near like Hilton Head and Beaufort. So really love the beach and the water and all that fun stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for being here tonight. <laughs> Next up, Dr. Juanita. Dr. Juanita, how you doing? I am well. How's everyone? Great, great, great. Tell Good. people about you. Tell people about what you do in your background. Well, first of all, another South Carolinian here. Uh, I Yes. <laughs> I am um, originally from Alabama, been here about 30 something years. Um, we start, my organization is Rediscover Me Women Initiative, which uh, we're in our third or fourth year now presently. And our organization focused on working with uh, women and teen girl survivors um, based on abuse, trauma, and mental health. And um, we've been a, a very, very active in the community. Um, I, my background falls into human behavior um, as my minor, and um, now I'm presently working uh, as a um, Christian psychologist. I'm in study. So we are busy all over the place. Awesome, awesome. You know, I'm really excited about this topic, and I want to give the audience a chance to know what to expect. So what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of jump into this conversation, and we're going to have some discussions but the chat is typically um, live. So I always tell the speakers, don't, don't worry about the chat because people are going to be saying everything. <laughs> they're going to be disagreeing. They're going to be liking everything. But typically everybody is well behaved, right? But what the people in the audience, this is for you. 
also. So if you have questions, if you want to have a discussion, feel free to have that discussion. Also, when we get to the end, we're going to have some Q&A in addition to some open discussions. And at the end, I like to kind of decompress and play some of my daddy's favorite, you know, records. So we're just going to chill out. So feel free to kind of have fun, you know, grab your drink and chill out. But let's just, just kind of jump on in there, right? Let's get started. Why do people think all they need is Jesus instead of a good, qualified therapist? And I'll let whoever wants to go first on that one. Go ahead, Ms. Juanita. Thank you so much. The, the biggest part that we have to contend with is stigma. When you and I begin to look at stigma uh, in the Black community, guess what? We don't do that. And excuse my bonics, but we don't do that. We don't need therapists. We don't have those personal issues. And you're crazy if you need a therapist. That's one of the big, that's the biggest overall. Uh, and that's why we you're looking at a form of learned behavior that we don't need that type of support and help. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Go ahead. Well, another reason is because we've been taught to not air our dirty laundry amongst strangers. So talking to anyone in the community, I mean, some people have found therapists miles and miles away and they're like, nope, still can't talk. No, it's tab it's really a taboo to really, you know, air your dirty laundry. And so a lot of people just suffer in silence because mm -hmm. of it. Mom suffered in silence, grandma suffered in silence. And a common response to when someone is really going through a tough situation is just pray about it. Oh, mm -hmm. just pray about it. The Lord will fix it. But what if that person doesn't even have a relationship with the Lord or doesn't even know how to pray? So sometimes we use these little cliches to think, oh, it's going to get better or don't worry. Like Miss Juanita said, oh, you're crazy if you have a problem. Why are you crying? Oh, you're crazy. Must got in a demon or something. So I think that's why. Well, you know, it, it's so unfortunate, right? Because, Absolutely. you know, when, when you look at, you know, the things that people are dealing with and the trauma, I mean, it's just, and I, I love the saying, you know, a wise person once said, you can't heal what you don't reveal. Mm -hmm. If you think about what you said, you know, people holding it in, right? Mm -hmm. I actually attended this session this week and it was on men and mental health. And we had a great discussion and it kind of talked about some of the nuances, right? And then, you know, I'm kind of thinking, I'm looking around at my circle. And I'm, you know, I, I typically pay attention to the health of the people around me. And I see people who talk about it and people who don't talk about it. And it's sad to see people so stuck in that place where they are hurting themselves or they're not living their best life and they just stick in that place. You know, but we'll get to that later. But, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, it, it's sad to me when I see that stigma because I do agree. It's definitely real. And hopefully tonight somebody will kind of get a different understanding of what it is and what it isn't. So we can, you know, get help. Now, this question next is for Dr. Juanita. Now, I was talking to Dr. Juanita. I was kind of just chopping it up. I was like, hey, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this. And she's like, do you mean this transgenerational epidemic genetic inheritance? I said, I don't know what it is, but I hope it ain't contagious, right? And, you know, so so, so she's academic, y'all. So, Ms. Juanita, can you tell us what that is? I didn't even pronounce it right. What does that mean? 
The first thing is I I break it down in acronyms uh, and just use the word TEI, but the word is transgenerational epigenetic inheritance. And in in Black community, generational curse, uh, as you just shared. Um, The thing about it is it is a form of trans, and I wrote it down so I can make certain I said it correctly. It is the transmission of epigenetic markers from the organisms of the next that affects the traits of an offspring. So long story short, the DNA imprint that is on us, it doesn't affect your the dynamical design of who you are. It's just a form of imprint that is attached into the DNA. It's like inserted in a sense. And so when you look at that word, and I'm going to use our beautiful Miss Jamesha, am I saying your name correctly? Yes, you are. (laughs) Miss Jamesha. So we're going to use her as a prime example. You see, when Miss Jamesha, grandmother, was carrying her mother at five months old, she was also carrying Miss Jamesha. Mm -hmm. So grandma, so when Miss Jamesha start thinking about some of the things that she's going through, she may be thinking that, oh, you know, I might've drinks this and hung out and partied when I was in college and I was just doing this and that, not knowing that the issues she's suffering from in college actually stem two generations backwards uh-huh. before she ever got into college and started trying to um, understand her emotional imbalances, her fears, her tra- all the things that she's dealing with, the way she makes decisions, all of those in a nutshell. Awesome. Awesome. So I think I got it. I think what you're saying is if my grandfather or great-grandfather suffered from anxiety or stress, then anxiety and stress can be passed on to the next generation. So is that if I go off to college and all of a sudden I'm struggling and I don't know why, and that anxiety was never addressed those multiple generations, then I'm just carrying on that family baggage, that family curse, multiple generations where if grandfather or great-grandfather chose to deal with anxiety, then you can stop it or you can heal it, or at least you can acknowledge it and deal with it. Absolutely. Now take into now take into consideration now when you said earlier, you know, why do we have this stigma in our culture uh, of thinking that we don't need a therapist? You know, we were suffering back then, but somebody put a Band-Aid over it and called it something else. Ain't nothing wrong with you. You can go on out there in that field. <laughs> you know, oh, you got to hit. Oh, no, that's just that's minor. Take an aspirin. And, and, and you know, we, we kind of like pacified it. And, and it yeah. was never, ever addressed. The real issue was never, ever addressed. It was never addressed. It was never acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Tell me this. Next question, Mr. Mesha. This question is for you. Family trauma. Let's kind of talk about, you know, family trauma. You know, based on, you know, your work, and you can remind us of the work you do with the churches and the military families. What are the types of family trauma you're seeing? First of all, what is family trauma? And what are some examples of family trauma you're seeing? 
So, so family trauma really just extends from trauma that one person experienced and how it really affects our system. So the people who are around us, it affects our community. Um, and again, if it's not resolved, it just keeps going, it keeps going. And so when you think about TEI, it keeps going until someone just sits there and addresses it. So family trauma could be, it could stem from alcoholism. So if a grandparent or your parents were alcoholics, the effect of that trauma, traumatic experience that you endured or experienced, that's a part of it. Um, it could be from sudden death. So right now, a lot of people are bracing themselves for the aftermath of this pandemic as soon as we, we get out of it or climb our way to freedom. Um, how their families were just maybe disjointed or those sudden deaths that were just so unexpected. One, trauma could also be a traumatic experience that we've had at the doctor. So, oh, I, my grandma, personally, my good godmother, she passed away as a result of some malpractice issues at a hospital here. And now I'm just like, well, I don't know if I really trust that hospital. And I'm encouraging others like, I don't know. So that could be a part of it. So it can still stem from an illness, alcoholism, a car accident, um, just so many, just those really damaging experiences that we are exposed to or we hear about and that we experience firsthand um, that really just we weren't accounting for, we weren't ready for it. And it's like, here, what do we do? So that's in a nutshell, it goes on and on because trauma is really deep. But yeah, thanks <laughs> for sharing brief. that. You know, one of the notes yeah. I, I like the, the way it was described is, you know, family trauma can be described as a recurring, a reoccurring problem mm-hmm. that steals, kills, and destroys. Mm-hmm. And for people who spend a little time in the church, they know what that means. <laughs> yeah. It, steals, kills, and destroys. Yeah. You mean to tell me family trauma can be like that? Yeah. That Absolutely. steals, steals, Absolutely. and destroys. You know, when, when they say Jesus came, he came to give a more abundant life. I love that word, abundance, mm-hmm. right? And everybody wants to thrive. They want to live in abundance. But if you think about something that steals, kills, and destroys from your abundance— Oh man, it's just it just gets deep, you know, because that hospital example you just gave, it really made me think. Because I know someone who really just like this hospital phobia, right? And it's like will not go anywhere and and it, it often just made me think and I just could never understand it. But now the way you describe it, it actually allowed me to see that thing before that I thought was just a little weird to kind of see that that, that person actually was a little traumatized by that experience. Mm-hmm. And that traumatized experience essentially mm-hmm. affected them in a way that it could continue to move on if it's now dealt with. Dr. Yeah, Juanita, absolutely. Yes, sir. what do you think are some, you know, traumas or curses that can be passed along? Like, what are some things that you see in dealing with people? Because you specifically, you deal with young women, right? And if you would, mm-hmm. just use this as an opportunity to tell us about what you do, you know, at your organization and some of the type of trauma that you run into and help people with. The and the biggest um, biggest one that I I work on is them feeling like they are worthless. That that self esteem, which stems from um, generally secondhand trauma, and we can talk about that a little bit later on. But majority of them begin looking at the factors of 
um, you know, they had to make decisions based on forms of capacity uh, centered around what they were in doing at that particular time and not knowing that, you know, that is not their fault. You know, they're, they're, they didn't have the mindset. They didn't have the capacity. They didn't have the income, whatever the situation might have been. So basically you're looking at someone might have made a decision, a temporary decision centered on, I don't have enough money. So I might have to, you know, inconvenient, you know, substitute rice, you know, for oodles and noodles, you know, so in in a sense, a, a person could be feeling guilty because they were poor, feeling guilty because their families was dysfunctional, feeling guilty because they came from alcoholism or, you know, they were promiscuous. Uh, I do in, encounter that constantly and uh, bad decisions. But then when we begin to break it all down and I'm teaching them about uh, TEI, transgenerational epigenetic inheritance. So when I start teaching them about that and the degree of capacity, then it opens them up, not just to understand who they are, but the dynamics of their family, um, of the family that they come from. And so that is one of the hardest parts of what I do in teaching and helping those individuals to move forward from being stuck in wow. that mindset. Well, you know, you know what I just heard, you know, and I'm just kind of hearing so much and I can see the chat moving. I can't read it, but I tell you what I just heard. You know, I think back and I'm from Texas. Y'all y'all got to excuse me, not excuse me, because I'm proud, proud of, you know, the dialect, the language. You know, I love language. I took years of Latin. I love language. Right. So I often speak in the local language. And, you know, we used to call them young ladies that you just referred to as fast, you see. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and then we got fans, we call it promiscuous. But one mm-hmm. thing I noticed about how these young ladies were treated, they were blamed for their situation, their behavior, their promiscuous. They said, promiscuous, I'm going to attach that to you. I'm going to give that to you. That's your fault. But what you're telling us, Miss Juanita, is that's a part of the trauma and thing that's passed on. Because people see that behavior today, but what they don't see is how the living conditions and the situations of these young ladies essentially created that environment and it passed it on. And when we say that now, we are also saying that depended on the nature of that environment, something happened inside of it Mm. that offset that young lady or offset that young man. Mm -hmm. So therefore, even if they were abused, molested, raped. You can also backtrack that to family members who were abused, molested, and raped. Mm, so it's a pattern. It's, it's a, pattern a pattern of predators that's mm-hmm. going on and on and on. Now, Jamie, mm-hmm. earlier, you know, since we're on the topic, you kind of talked about, you know, the nuance of, and we're just going to go there and we can go to it later in the discussion because I love to see what the audience talked about. Jamisa, you run into these young people who are having sexual identity or sexual, you know, activity before, you know, they're expected or, you know, um, I don't know what the proper word is, but, you know, it sounds like this is a good opportunity for you to kind of share what you're seeing on this. You know, Miss Juanita talks about the backdrop. She talks about the things. And next thing you know, they're in your office and you're dealing with them and their sexual behavior, their young motherhood and things like that. Tell us about what you see. 
Yeah, so we were just hashing out future topics. And one that I was thinking of is that I have a, a young parent now whose daughter is turning of age to be in puberty. And she's wanting to have those mom, where do babies come from? Like, where do they really come from? And how do they get here type conversations? Um, and not that she's promiscuous or anything, but she's just very curious. And a lot of times we don't have these open conversations with our children. And so they have to figure it out. Where, where are children most of the day at school with other children who are trying mm-hmm. to figure it out? And so sometimes they find themselves in peculiar situations. I remember uh, when I was in high school, there was another student who'd had a baby every year of high school. And I was like, oh my gosh, God is watching. What is she doing? You know, mm-hmm. but then now that I'm older, I think about like the environment that she came from and those whom she hung around, she may not have those conversations about, hey, take it slow. Um, and then when we think about TEI, it's like maybe her mom and grandma had had difficult situations in their own right. Um, I've also seen a lot of our male children who are sometimes products of their environment and feel that a certain way of life is flashy and exciting and oh this is what I want this is what I aspire to be I mean I've heard it so many times that sometimes the the trajectory for our black males is either jail sports or being a drug dealer or rapper or something of that nature but if we expose our children to a different way and sometimes we don't have access to that way and there's no fault of anyone's but we have to teach our children that there there's something else there is greater here just because grandpa did it doesn't mean I did it I mean for my own my own life my grandfather his father was a bootlegger thankfully somehow our family has stepped away from that that situation but when we think about you know just hey what if I was an alcoholic and we think about TEI, hey, it's in my DNA. My grandfather, and I took care of him sometimes when he had his little spouts, but that was him. And I loved him. And I became a therapist because of that. So <laughs> I took the alternative route. But sometimes our children just aren't aware that there is something different because our environment precipitates that, what our parents are doing or not doing may precipitate that. Like, oh, this is the lifestyle that I have to choose. Also, access to television programs and social media, like too much access, really just shows them that, oh, this is a glamorous life, which may not always be a positive choice. Um, and so that's why they're, they're, they want that, especially our families who are in poverty. They aspire to be greater, but greater sometimes isn't a positive um, aspect there. So I've seen so much with our children, even language. You know, I've worked with children who are nonverbal and I just keep talking. Just keep, hey, you're beautiful today. Tell me about your day. And this one little kid in particular, she's going, yum, 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 yum. And I'm like, yum, 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 that. You know, because I want to encourage her that there is language and whether she can is able to um, communicate now, she has to communicate in her own way. And so I just try to match that. Um, but again, single mothers, children in poverty. I used to work for a center um, in Greenville, South Carolina, which was RBHS. And so many of our children were in the poverty, under the poverty level. And their families, grandma was raising great grandchildren 
children's. Um, and so again, they just may not have access to better, but we, we as a community have to step in and do what we can um, to just give those children some exposure and show them some love that they may not be getting because mom and dad are either working um maybe in other places, you know, incarcerated maybe, or maybe just not be able to have the capacity to show them love, to show them positivity, um, and just kind of rechange change some of those um, negative aspects that's in their life. Well, you know, as you were speaking, it really made me think about what Ms. Um, Dr. Juanita was saying. I begin to think about the rock in a hard place. Dr. Juanita talks about the trauma, right? The, 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 the ugly thing, the, the horrible thing, the predators. You're talking about the opposite side of it is, yes, kids are asking questions. What do you do? So on one part, we like, you know, we want to protect the children from this ugly stuff. But then over here, we got to teach them about other stuff. And I can now see this great picture that can put a parent in this paralyzed fear. How do I protect them from the ugly stuff, but teach them about the things? And recently I had an experience with my son where, you know, I'm, I'm at the store and he's talking to the person because, you know, we've known him for years. And he looks at my son, he points to my shirt. He said, what's that thing on his shirt? He says, my son says, a boom box. He's like, what do you, how do you know what a boom box is? He <laughs> says, well, I saw it on Roblox. And me and a guy, we laugh. We laugh and we say, you know, he says, you know, it's so true. Today, kids... We may have experienced things, right? Master Blaster, Boombox, but they watch it and they experience it. So just because that old Boombox is not around, it doesn't mean he doesn't see it and know what it is. And it's already in his vocabulary. But going back to what Ms. Uh, Dr. Juanita was saying, it's just hard because, you know, you want to protect the children, but then all of a sudden, you know, we got to kind of find a way to move forward. But I just want to kind of think about that rock and a hard place. And, you know, we're going to talk more about it. Let's, let's switch gears a little bit. Family ties, broken family ties. Oh, my goodness, this is my favorite. You know, because I, I love, you know, the joke we always say around here, the home team, right? You know, or the family, right? But I love this topic. You know, family conflict, broken family ties. And I would love to know from your experience, since you guys meet with patients. I know, Jamesha, you're working at the church. Um, Dr. Juanita, you work with various people. What are some things that you're seeing that are causing entanglement between family members. I mean, you know, excuse me, you know, broken family ties. You know, tell us about that. What are some issues that you're seeing is coming up that's really causing families to get stuck in that place where they have broken family ties? President, um, one of the most, um, the, one, the biggest one that I have that's sticking out now is my only male client. And um, the thing that is, creating that form of division is because he is finally, you know, after a breakdown, finally beginning to see the, de the degree of uh, dysfunctionality he's operated in his entire life. And so now after reaching out, getting that support, um, he's also going back and asking questions. But the key factor of it was everybody was, trying not to be, in a sense, what was right in their face. 
And so I think we kind of touched on it when we said, you know, uh, the children are, are going out, they're trying to be better than the parents. And so they're doing their thing and the parents are doing, trying to pull them back. And, 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 but nobody is doing And the key word to what you just, the question that you say we're going to come back to is communication. There was never, ever a form of communication. There was never, ever a form of education. There was no, you know, there's a lot of things that we never did receive and there's reasons why. So we're not going to point fingers at parents and others. I'm not going here for that, but I'm going here to say that because of communication not being the primary factor, um, then you have individuals who have had to fend for themselves. And so if that family member didn't quite get it inside their family dynamics, then guess what? We went outside that force. And so it's like that dualism being pulled from both dynamics, one trying to pull them back, the other one's trying to find their independence. And in the midst of that, there's that clash and everybody's right. Hmm. Nobody hmm. wants to be wrong. And nobody wants to stop and just say, hey, I hurt today. Hey, I cried today. This hurts me. And when you do that, you know, just having that real vulnerable Convert heart to heart conversation. And if we need to cry, let us cry. And if we, you know, whatever we need to do, no, I got to be the man. You can't see them tears. You know, I've got to be that strong black woman, which is uh, so many of us have had to try to hold on to that. You know, we, we gravitate to these societal norms or stigmas that are placed upon us. And that begins to be our mantra. And the whole entire time, the family is just all wow. erratic. Well, well, you know, great story. And it's very visual for me. And all I can think about is, you know, they had that old cartoon, the what they call it, the proud family. This sounds like the pride family, right? Mm. A very prideful environment. And everybody who live, if you live in, you're going to experience something. And as you talked about this person, they experienced something. And, but they're in this very prideful family. In this prideful family, where, where do you get vulnerable? Where do you go for help? Where do you have a conversation? Where do you get empathy? Where do you get an apology? No, 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 no. We don't do that. We too <laughs> proud for that. We do too much proud. How about you, Jamesha? What are you seeing? What are you seeing some common causes of broken family ties? Well, I did jot down a few here. So I'm thinking financial. Mm -hmm. So one, because either one parent or family doesn't have a financial stability, then that breaks over. And then when death comes in, because there is no plan of action afterwards, oh, chaos, chaos. Everyone is grabbing what they can grab. No one wants to be like, hey, maybe let's save this or let's do this. So um, the financial aspect of it, then I'm also thinking of same-sex relationships. It is Pride Month, so Hey, y'all. Uh, but sometimes when a family member decides to either become transgender or to come out this closet, um, that can also injure family relationships because you've been taught one way. Oh, it's an abomination and all, all these other things. And so sometimes that family member may feel rejected. Um, it may be difficult to communicate how they're feeling and what they're experiencing because no one is going to be able to relate to them. Or then we go to shame and dishonesty. So sometimes that family member may 
lie and lie and lie and lie just to cover up a lie. My mom would say, don't tell one lie because you got to tell multiple to keep covering that one. So that becomes a factor. Um, And then shame of just not being able to provide a certain lifestyle or shame because of things that may have happened in the past. So you found out while grandma is preaching, get married before you have a baby. Grandma had five babies before she found a husband. So never having that conversation with grandma as to why, what made her do those things or why she's spilling this message now. Um, And then unreasonable expectations. Man, families break apart because you didn't come visit me when so-and-so happened and now I'm not going to help you. Then we go back to dishonesty and the finding it's just a consortium of issues when we think about what can really affect the family. Illness can affect the family. I have a client at my practice, Magnolia Counseling and Consultation, um, and her sister was ill. And so because her sister was ill, her mom wasn't really there for her. Well, she's found out some different things that, oh, grandma wasn't there for mom. So again, going back to TEI, and now she's having to really deal with, hmm, why do I have this resentment and this animosity and this motherly relationship? And how can she redirect that to a positive? So, so much. We could be here all night and talk about things that. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> and that. a family. And quickly, too, so quick. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were getting ready to say something else. But yeah, thanks for sharing that. Because as you were talking, it just made me think about the the context, right? It's it's all of these life events happening, it seems like. And then yeah. we go back to communication. Yeah. Let's say that you just living your best life, right? Family having a good time. But mm-hmm. then something happens, mm-hmm. right? Something like poorly managed mental health. Mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. like somebody disrespecting your boundaries. But you're living your best life. You're just living your living. Mm-hmm. But then I'll say, you know, certain families got a drama triangle. Mm-hmm. You're living your best life. And then all of a sudden, a baby is born. Mm-hmm. Or you're living your best life, and all of a sudden, you got different beliefs. This is my favorite. Different beliefs, politics, values. And my favorite, 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 the inability to apologize. Oh, oh yeah. You know, if my daddy was on here, he'd be talking. He'd be like, certain people just don't apologize. <laughs> Shame. No one wants to face that. They don't want to face that shame. Deal with my reality. Is that what that is? People don't want to apologize because of shame. Is that what that is? I I guess, right? It could be pride. It could be, yes. Uh, There's a multitude. Yeah. Self esteem. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. -hmm. You know, as I'm thinking about that, it, it goes back to the core thing, right? If the communication in the family is unhealthy, then all you need is a funeral to make things real bad. I used to never understood why funerals, you know, brought out some of the ugliness in people. I thought they were mourning, you know, I thought they were sad and they are. Yeah. But if you dig deeper, you'd Mm -hmm. be like, we had horrible communication from day one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When tragedy hit, a new child was born. When that funeral happened, our lack of healthy communication and dialogue really led to some broken family ties. I think that's a deep topic. That's a whole topic by itself, but we're going to keep going. Mm-hmm. we got about nine minutes. So for people in the audience, get ready with your questions, get ready with your discussion. We're going to chat about a couple more things, you know, from each speaker, and we're going to hear about them and how you can contact them. In addition, we're going to, Tamika's going to share your um, contact information 
um, in the chat. So I sent that to her earlier. So um, we'll make sure that your Magnolia and um, Dr. Juanita, I got your information too. We're going to share your email and your website. So Dr. Juanita, tell us something else that we haven't talked about that you think is very important, you know, because I think as what we can do is begin to shift to healing, right? We've yes. talked about the problem. And in talking mm -hmm. about the problem, we're talking about, okay, let's bring awareness, but I don't like to stay there. Let's talk about what we can do. What can we do to begin to heal, to begin to create <clears throat> in opportunities? In short, what are some things we can do today to break the cycle? The the biggest thing I'm going to say is, especially if you come from a, uh, your family is truly dysfunctional. And I'm saying truly, I'm thinking about my own family. Um, when you start looking at a lot of different compartments that no matter how many times you try to have a decent conversation, uh, your heart is in the right place and you, you come out leading very positive, but it turns and go left. And you know for a fact that you can't have this conversation or you can't begin within your you know, the wholeness of your family, start with you. What is it within you that you have seen that mirrors your family dynamic? When we start with us and, and when we start with us, then the biggest thing that I've seen is every time, uh, let's say a mother per se, if that mother would work on her and work on those areas that need to be taken care of first, it's okay to go visit Miss Jamisha. It's okay to knock on a therapist's door. You find that perfect that person that is a good fit for you. And when you connect with that individual and you do that deep dive and you you start working on learning to manage all of the issues that you are dealing with, then those that are connected to you will begin to see that change and will begin to want to know what are you doing see that's going to open up the dialogue for conversation and so that will be a great opening so the very first thing that I recommend is to first take care of self do your own self-care get your own whatever that may look like for you do that deep dive and, and then if it's within your family, be okay with having that conversation with your children. I think I've seen it in the chat, several people saying, I'm, I make it my business to apologize. We all need to sit down with our children and apologize. It's okay to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Going back to that word I used earlier, based on the capacity of what I knew earlier when I had children, I know better now. I am learning, you know, what is it that I've done that you you know, that I might have brought what forms of harm, excuse me, I might have brought toward you. And so I can apologize for that. And we can talk this out, giving you that space to, to release those things. And um, I guess the third thing that I would say to keep it short is work on your mental health above all things. Find out what is triggers, what is your coping mechanism? What do you need to do to keep yourself grounded? For the sole purpose of, in order for you to be whole and healed and manage and teach others around you how to make those dynamical changes, you, you, you have to find out what areas that you need. What is it that you need? What forms of issues that you may have? And if it requires medication, take that step. Take that step. And if it just requires just somebody guiding you, take that step. But whatever it is, 
be brave enough to reach out and get that support. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Juanita. Um, I'm going to pause and not say anything because my mind is just going. But what I want to come back is to something you said is you said, start with you. Right. And you said, you know, take care of yourself. And I like what you said, you know, you know, identify, take care of your mental health. And I want to come back to that because the more I talk about mental health, the more I realize I don't think people know what mental health is. Mm-hmm. It is. It's one of those simple words. But, you know, it's like it's like marketing. When you say marketing, everybody got a different thought in their head. So I want to spend a little time when we get into discussion talking about what is mental health and how do you identify good and bad mental health? Because, you know, I've heard people say, multiple people say, oh, this thing that I discovered about myself and my mental health, quote unquote, I thought that was just me. (laughs) In short, we can be living with that baggage for so long. We don't know the difference between who we are, our core self, who we are as our best self, and that baggage that we've been growing around. And we just going around with a big old hump on our back, scales on our skin, and we think that's a part of us. But we're going to talk about what mental health is. Uh, Ms. Jamesha, I want to give you that same question. What are some things that people can do today? What are some things you tell your clients of how to break the cycle? So first, we're going to take that mask off. No one has, you don't have to be perfect. It is okay to be you. So like accepting that the mask can come off and to really deal with some of those issues. I know, especially in church culture, we typically walk around our masks like, oh, everything is fine. I'm healthy. My mind is great. I was just crying in my room, but now that my mask is gone, I am great. No issues. And so we wear that as if the world is not going on around us. So really just take some time to take that off. I always encourage my clients to get to know yourself. Oh, especially my mothers. Take time because maybe you were married or maybe you became a mom, but that has been your identity if you don't have a hobby. If you don't take time to just rest, um, because that leads into our children. So you may be short-tempered and have little patience. Are you resting? Are you doing something that you find joy in? Um, And then I also just encourage parents to just talk to your children, allow them to grieve, be there for them if they're going through something hard, because that's where communication starts. When when your child is young and you have those open conversations, and sometimes you may not understand Roblox what, what, what's going on? I don't, I don't even know what that is. Beyblades. What? Like I had a client. Yeah. He, he would show me his Beyblades. I'm like, Oh, then I found out there's a TV series. Like, Oh, okay. Good. You taught me something. I'll never use it, but now I know. Uh, but just sit there and let them talk. And I think that's why kids gravitate to me a lot because I don't, I may not understand everything they're talking about, but I just sit there and listen. I'm not giving advice. I'm not telling them what they should do. I'm just listening okay, that seems important to you. I like that too. I never knew. So allowing them to learn from you as well as learning from them creates such a synergy between families and children and their parents um, and a mutual respect that they can always come talk to you until you start being judgmental, then they're out the door. Um, And then in my practice and a personal mantra of mine is to, in all things that you do, share love when you have the capacity to do so. 
Seek joy in every moment. There is something you can be grateful for or find joy in in every moment. Happiness may be fleeting, but joy is internal. Um, and so that you may find peace within yourself. So if you take Miss Juanita's advice and then at, at the end of the day or at the end of the night, if you aren't at peace with something, then yeah, let's let's address why there isn't peace there. If you're lying awake all night and the same thought keeps ruminating, Let's take some time to really figure out why that is. What is going on there? What type of personal work do I need to do for myself? Because if you don't put your safety mask on first, no one's coming to save you. Mm. I love flying. And they always say, put your mask on before you help someone else. Because you may not have the capacity to really deal with what that other person is going through. If you aren't taking time to rest and replenish and engage in self-care, which is doing things that bring you joy and allow you to relax and find peace. If you aren't doing that on a regular basis, then when you go to really help, try to help someone else, you may injure them more than you're trying to help. And lastly, find you some boundaries. I love this book, Boundaries. It's a workbook series as well. They have one for marriages. They both have that one too. (laughs) Um, Boundaries. Boundaries. (laughs) It is okay to say no. It is okay to put yourself first. It is okay to be selfish sometimes. Now, if you have kids, I understand you have to walk a fine line, but teaching them boundaries will then help them when they're in a difficult situation and feeling uncomfortable. Yeah, no, I'm going to go home. I'm not, I'm not going there. I, I got this feeling. Mm, I need to check on that and leave. So having boundaries and sometimes families find themselves in a chaotic state because they have no boundaries. Mm, mm, None. Mm. None. Wow. None. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I mean, and I, I love that book boundaries. You know, I always love how it starts with a mother and a daughter, a mother and a daughter. And in this case, the mother is a little, let's say domineering. Mm-hmm. And the daughter is always just trying to make things happen. She doesn't mm-hmm. know how to say no. But that book, Boundaries, is an awesome book. So I love the fact that you both have that. <laughs> you know, I want to geek out for a moment because one of the things you said and when you spoke is you said, take off the mask. Figure out who you are. Right. Show love. Develop some boundaries. And I want to geek out because I, I love poems. And when you say wear the mask, I always go back to my favorite poem by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Bar. And it describes, as I think about the black culture and our people, I can discover I always struggle with why we struggle with mental health. And now it hits me. Pride. We can be some very pride and proud people. And we wear that mask and we've had very many reasons we, to wear the mask. Self-preservation is one reason we wear the mask. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let me w- read this poem. We Wear the Mask by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. We wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. This debt we pay for a human guile. With torn and bleeding hearts, we smile. And mouth with mirrored subtitles. Why should we, the world, be overwise in counting all our tears and sighs? Nay, let them only see us while 
we wear the mask. We smile, but oh, great Christ, our cries. To thee from our tortured souls arise. We sing, but oh, the clay is vile. Beneath our feet and the long mile. But let the world dream otherwise. We wear the mask. Let's go to questions. So I want to start with one question, and I see um, there's a, a, a hand up. And um, Tamika, if you can help me go to questions, because I want to get everyone to get a chance to kind of type in your question or raise your hand, and we may try to um, get you guys unmuted if you are well-behaved. If you're not well-behaved, you're going to be muted. So um, let's um, try to get some um, questions from the audience. But let me start with that question of what is mental health? And Tamika, are you still there? Yeah. Okay, cool. So let me know when you have a question. Do you have one ready? I have one right now. Okay, well, go, um, ahead and, go ahead and do that one. One from Wendy and a couple of other people kind of alluded to this, but how do you talk about ending the childhood trauma in reference to child rearing in multi-generational homes? Hmm. That one sounds complicated. I want to make sure I um, grab the essence of that because I think what's being said is, does a household with some parents, some children, and probably some grandparents. Some grandparents, yeah. And there seemed to be some conflict between what's the proper way to raise that child. That's a good one. Um, Dr. Juanita, Jamesha, anything you want to add to that? I would definitely say boundaries, first of all, <laughs> if that's your child. Um, I've worked, like I said, in RBHS Center, but I've also worked for a nonprofit named Thornwell where I had to go into family homes and teach families how to discipline. Now they're like, oh, you don't got no kids. I'm like, that's okay. My kids wouldn't be <laughs> in this situation. But nonetheless, finding a way that works for your child and you. Everyone is different. What worked for mom may not work for you. Work for her mom may not have worked for her. So establishing a boundary of like, hey, you all did the best you could. Like we talked earlier about capacity and having access. You did the best you could with the resources you have. But now I've learned a different way. I don't want to yell at my kids. I don't, well, you have to start early, but I don't feel like it's necessary to pull out a belt and start whipping and corporal punishment on my child. Because what is that teaching our children? That when mom is upset and has a difficult emotion, she may lash out or dad may lash out by hitting me. And so when I'm dealing with a difficult emotion, the best way is to lash out. So, but starting early is very essential. Um, so when you're going to have this conversation with this multi-generational family here, like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm going to ask that you kindly respect my wishes on how I'm going to raise my child. And then implementing, someone mentioned earlier, parenting class or finding ways that you can communicate with your child without having to go through such harsh measures. Um, there's a way of implying consequences. So you may not have TV time to watch Roblox because you did not clean your room when you came home from school. Your homework isn't done. So this child is not only learning about consequences, but they're learning about accountability and being responsible in a healthy way. Um, then setting up 
rewards. Now I know families are like, I'm not gonna reward my child for something they're supposed to do. You're supposed to make your bed. But the way I look at it is that that child is taking off of your load as a family. So each chore is something else that parent or grandparent isn't responsible for. Cleaning the bathroom. Now they can focus on spending time with the child. Hey, let's go outside and throw the ball. Um, And again, you're teaching your child that they will be rewarded. We are rewarded when we go to work and do a good job with a paycheck and some paid time off. So let's reward our children for committing to helping out in the household. Um, But again, it's essential that you start early, early as possible. I mean, it's never too late to try to teach a new skill, but the earlier, the better. I mean, at four years old, my mom was teaching me how to make a bed and to dust and sweep. Four. And something like, oh, that's too early. My mom was old school, you know, but still, that's a skill that I have. And if we expose our children to positive, we expose our family members to a positive way, eventually everyone will buy in. But you have to maintain consistency when talking with your family members Again, asserting that boundary, like if you are unable to discipline this child or to help me in a, in a positive way, then just let me know and I will handle it as yeah. a parent. Yeah, that's a really good question. Thank you, Jamesha. And Dr. Mania, I would love to hear your thoughts on that one because I think that's a very, very deep question. That question goes so deep. Dr. Wanita, anything you want to add to that? Uh, just to, I, I look at everything as a teachable moment and, and I love everything uh, that my beautiful sister just shared. Absolutely. Kudos. Um, I, when I looked at, listen to um, the outcome also, you know, when you, you're looking at the dynamic of the family structure, you're also looking at this as a teachable moment and as a teachable moment, it's also educating them on, you know, the importance of having their buy-in to supporting the guidelines and the boundaries and the structure that need to take place for that particular child. And that when I say teachable moment, what I'm referring to is that particular individual may need to go back and say, hey, you know, if we don't come together as one and unified, then this child is either going to play us one against the other. Um, this child will use the weakest link to, you know, do different things that um, may not be healthy or Going back to TEI, you know, you have to begin to look at what type of issues you're having from your past. You know, that trauma, trauma is very real. We're going to talk about that. But, you know, when we're dealing with trauma, that's very real. And, um, you know, we have to begin to look at what you went through, what you suffered through. We don't want to do that and repeat cycles. So, you know, having that type of conversation gives, opens the door for individuals, you know, all individuals to be able to say, okay, this is what I experienced. And they, and that person may need to approach it. What happened to you in your childhood? If you could change anything in your childhood, what would it be? Why would you change that? What did it, that do to you? These are the things that I want to avoid with, with my child. And I need your buy-in in, in all capacities. We need to create a guideline, as was said, then we need to make certain that those guidelines are followed. And if they are not, this is what happened. But not only that, but she also has to put in if you, you know, whatever the guideline is going to be for the family when it can't do those things. It's very important for all people to be in on one accord with everything as they move forward. I like the way you describe that because being on one accord, as 
you know, they say these kids will play you. They, they will. will play you like an instrument. They will play you against they each will. other. And I remember my son was six months. He started playing me, and I thought I was drunk, but I wasn't drunk. I knew that little <laughs> sucker was up to something. But um, anyway, you know, great question. Tamika, an- another question, you know, and um, because we, we have questions, and we've got a hand up. So um, um, let's do that. Um, Ms. Warima, if you don't mind typing your question, that would be great because I want to keep everybody on mute because we have a large audience. But if you can type your question um, and we'll, you know, or send it directly to Tamika and she'll actually um, read it for you. But um, Tamika, what's your next question? Next question is, how can we improve mother-daughter relationships? It seems mm-hmm. like a lot of anger, jealousy that is passed on from mother to daughter. And this person speaking, they said from personal experience. So how can they heal that? Awesome. Thank you for um, protecting a person's name. So as you read the question, that's a good thing and not using the name. So um, let's go Dr. Juanita first. Um, Mother-daughter jealousy. O-M-G. Ooh, child. Well, I'm glad Oof. no mother, no daughter. Um, you got anything for that? First of all, I want you to know that that's there's different dynamics. There, so since we don't know the core, um, the general, um, we also have to take into consideration that depending on who, there could be some areas that maybe empty or lack, meaning um, if mom may not, you know, may not be at a certain level, daughter may be trying to prove that independence, um, you know, and that there's that power struggle that's going on. Or, you know, um, and when I say that, let me back up when, you know, when so many times women that I work with and I work with quite a few, quite a few mother daughters, And that power and control is really the biggest core factor to it. Let me Mm -hmm. use the right terminology, power and control. And then we're going to throw in independence. Each individual is fighting for power and for control. And so um, part of that, generally speaking, could be from a place of emptiness. As women... You know, as some, you know, as some I've I've encountered some moms who became moms too early, some moms who uh, even if they didn't become moms too early, didn't have the ability to do the things that they want to felt like life might have cheated them and their daughters may be doing different things. And, you know, and then there's daughters who, you know, who are uh, either ready to fly too fast or there's daughters that feel like they've been too um, confined and, and subdued. And, you know, and there's so many different dynamics. And, and so that's why I use the word power and control. And so what is that happy medium? You know, what is that happy medium? And so in certain factors, uh, I've worked with individuals who, who ran their home as the organization. And what, and so taken off of that work mode, once they become home, divide being able to separate those two was very difficult. And, you know, and it took me a minute to get her to see the, the dynamics of how she was treating her daughter like employees. Hmm. And there was a form of high expectation set on her to where she was trying expecting her to rise up. 
but she's a 13 year old girl just learning, just ready to start, you know, wearing her kicks and going, you know, and playing basketball, you know, her mind is here, but mom is like, you know, do this, do this time, some time management, and, you know, but, you know, and so in that power struggle, it's, you know, one of us want control or both of us wants control and both of us are will, willing to fight to the death to get it. But you know, at what cost? So this is where we have to pull back. And so, and if we're, you know, and, and, and then if there's been some type of trauma that has happened to either party, then you're looking at that part that's, that's, that's playing a factor. So that's why I say it's very, this is a very broad question. And without knowing the depths, I can't give you a direct answer, but I can give you a general response and it will be power and control. Yeah. Tell me this for each of you, um, what areas do you um, meet clients? Because I think both of you, South Carolina, do either one you meet clients outside of South Carolina? I mean, I do. Virtual. Okay. You do? I do. I do. So that person could probably connect connect you for some follow-up then. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's good to know. Uh, and to make if you mind sharing that contact information again in the chat. Um, and um, I want to grab another question because, well, before I grab another question, I want to say this. Um, with such a deep topic, you know, this is all about love. It's all about healing. Um, and this conversation is really about awareness. It's about understanding what the problems are. Once you get awareness, that's not enough, right? Then you got to do the work. You got to get the help. So following up with a professional, following up with one of the professionals we have here, the information is being shared, is a key thing. In addition to the book that both professionals have shared, Boundaries. Oh, that's a good book, right? I guarantee you by the first chapter, you're going to see some of these nuances. Because in the first chapter of that book is this nuances, once again, a mother-daughter um, struggle. Tamika, what question do you have next? Actually, there's just been a lot of communication in the chat, so no okay. Um, question. Okay, can you grab a question for um, Ms. Warma? Because she has her hand up, and I just want to kind of keep you um, speaking the question since it's such a sensitive topic, right? So what I'm going to do while we wait for one more question is I just want to kind of talk about this thing that we talked about. What is mental health, right? <laughs> it's the thing we talk about all the time. And then I begin to think about, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think a lot of people really understand what it means or somebody has a different perspective. So let's just kind of break it down. And um, uh, Ms. Juanita, if you don't mind going first, because I like the way you break things down. And then, you know, Jamesha, you can go next. Is And then I'm going to go last because I just want to kind of, I like to share my thoughts, right? But Ms. Juanita, what would you say, how would you break down what is mental health to a person and what the things they can do to identify their mental health? It all depends on, and I'm going to say it, um, there are different factors that, you know, we all look at. And it's really, mental health is behavior. It, it To sum it all up, it's your behavior. Um, something affecting or offsetting your behavior. And so um, I did hear, uh, and, and I would say the same thing, um, Ms. Jamisha Sarah shared how, you know, if something is going on with you and it's constantly um 
affecting you over and over, that's something that that we can identify as a form of mental health. Um, But the primary thing that we're looking at is when you think about mental health, there's three primary factors. There's mild and, and it goes all the way up to chronic mental health. Okay, and so what I like to tell people is all of us suffer from some form of mental health. By the time you and I reach adulthood, we all suffer from depression. So we so let's just, you know, so so let's throw it out the door saying I don't suffer from mental health. Everybody suffers from mental health. And so when you out there dealing with thinking about the fact that we're dealing with mental health, um, you know, a mild form of mental health, you know, then let's expand that. What has happened to you? from childhood? What has happened to you from, from high school to college? I mean, from college to, to adulthood? And then what happened to you now in your present state? So that's compacted issues. So you may not be in that chronic state or, or even into that detrimental state where you need medication um, such as uh, bipolarism, such as schizophrenia or anything such as that. You may just be in a state of, you know, I was impacted through um, the dysfunctionality of my home, okay, mild, right? So that might mean that I need someone who can teach me how to, you know, identify what I'm dealing with, but then also how to manage that holistically. I don't need medication, but when we cross over to the chronic, then chronic means I am dealing with something traumatic, meaning that I'm when I'm triggered, I'm uncontrolled. I'm I'm going into a state of anxiety that is uncontrollable. I mean, I'm that person could be shivering. That person could be if it's a word, it could be a word. It could be a touch. It could be a smell. It's something. And so it doesn't actually it's not something that you and I can see. Okay, it's not something that you and I can see. And so when I'm working with individuals that are are, are, have been affected by domestic violence, I I have I warn people it's very you have to be very strategic, especially when you connect with a uh, with someone who has been affected by domestic violence or sexual assault, because that individual um, there's so many dynamics that takes them over to a chronic state. And we have to be very sensitive to how we move, but just to say, what is mental health? Mental health depends on the individual and their state of being at that particular time. Awesome, thank you for sharing that. And Jamesha, if you don't mind going next, I love what Dr. Juanita shared. Share with us your thoughts on what she said and definitely please add to it. Well, ditto everything my (laughs) sister said. I agree, I agree, and if we were to add anything, it also encompasses our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. Keyword there, well-being. So it could influence our cognition, the way we handle stress, our relationships, our decision-making. So for example, if you know when a stressful situation comes, like, oh, I can't deal with it. A positive note, maybe oh, I'm going to rest and listen to some music, groove out, get my mind in a better place, and then I'll come back and deal with this. For others, it may be, oh, I need to go smoke a cigarette. I need to get my bo- my favorite bottle, or I need to yell at somebody. I need to punch something. And so all of that encompasses our mental health, as well as when we grieve. How do you grieve? Is it okay to grieve? Has our cultural environment said you can cry, you can vent, you can lay it all out? So 
that's a part of it as well. And so many times in our culture, we aren't allowed to grieve as long as we need to. You know, someone will say, oh, you should be over that by now, two weeks later. But grief is a journey that ranges in a very way, different emotions. There's so, it's even debated in the psychological field of how many stages to mm-hmm. grief there are. So, you know, you make it through anger, resentment, depression, um, questioning. Then you may get to a place of acceptance and find yourself two weeks later back at anger. So it's just really how we are able to deal and handle those emotional stressors. How do we deal with it? And if, when you have a healthy emotional mental health, then you know, okay, I need to take some time to myself, however you do it, because it varies for, by person, but knowing positive ways of dealing with your stress. Instead of bearing it, let me talk to someone about it. It may be your stuffed animal. Talk to your stuffed animal until you feel more comfortable talking to a person. Um, crying. It's okay to cry. I mean, I broke down the other day at an event. It was like, what am I doing? But I needed that. It's a release of those endorphins and that pressure when we allow ourselves to just let it out. But be mindful that holding it in only hurts more and adds to the severity. So she was talking about the ranges of uh, of grief and our emotional standings. So if you keep it dormant and something else comes, oh, now gas is high. I can't afford a tank. I have to disappoint someone in my family. And it just keeps building and compounding and compounding until one day it comes out. But because we haven't nurtured our emotional health, we won't know what to do to really help ourselves feel better or how that expression will look like. So you may spaz out on a friend or coworker, but you're dealing with so much at home that no one knows about because we got our mask on Mm -hmm. and you feel like wearing the mask is the best way to handle your mental health. It can result in uh, more illnesses, stress. Stress is a part of mental health as well. When you um, allow stress to, again, to compound, it can lead to sexual dysfunction, heart disease, uh, migraine headaches, gestational problems. And what does that do? It affects another system. So systems, again, are those things that we're involved in, the people around us, where we go, where we worship it can begin to affect those different areas. And again, it's stress. Oh, I'm fine. Heart attack. Yeah, you were fine. But now you're in the hospital. And what does that do? Add to the stress of the family or your friends who now care for you, which only adds back to your stress because you're feeling guilty that you got yourself to this stage. It's, yeah, it's broad. It's a, it's awesome. a lot, but that's just a little bit. <laughs> awesome. Jamesha, thank you for sharing this. And we have come to the end. What I would like to say is... Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you to the audience for being engaged. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for being here tonight to take that step of awareness. But don't stop there. We've shared with you the contact information where you can follow up with two professionals. We shared with you a book, a resource. And one person in the chat talked about the strong, silent woman. We actually did a series recently. So if you go to Southern Soul, um, well, to be put the website in chat, I can't even remember the website, you will see the series we did on the strong, silent black woman. The things that you can inherit, and I'll put some tidbits from that in the chat. 
Dr. Juanita, thank you for being here. Both of you were referred by people I know. When I got ready to do this topic, I said, I need somebody who can cover the topic. And you both showed up and you both <laughs> broke it down, right? I thank you for your humility. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your commitment to the community of the people you help and for sharing with us. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for a discussion with the audience.